Hey everybody, welcome to Grace Bond Ministries. I'm super excited about this episode and the episode to follow this. Listen, our discussion between myself and Christian and Lydia on complementarianism and the roles of women in ministry and, and contrasting that with this egalitarian view. Uh, the plan was to make it an hour and we ended up talking for about two hours just on this subject. So uh, we split it up into two. This first one, we get into um, you know the introductions and all that. You get to meet Lydia, who's a good friend of Christian and I's from undergrad. You're going to meet her. And then we're going to talk about what is complementarianism? What is egalitarianism? And, uh, and then, and then we, we pretty much end this episode talking about the biblical text that we think uh, that we think support complementarianism. And then the next episode, we're going to be looking at uh, text that, that, that uh, people think that uh, supports egalitarianism. And as we go through it, you'll see our, our heart and our passion is to know the Lord, is to follow the Lord, is to follow his word to the best of our ability. And I really hope that as you listen to this, that it's an eye-opener for you as you learn more about this issue. It's such a, such a divisive issue. I pray that you, you just learn so much from it. I pray that this opens you up. Uh, this is just introductory type of thing uh, for this topic. So I hope it, it opens you up to study this even deeper. To study it yourself. Look at these scriptures. Check their context. Check the historical context. And figure out what is the role of men and women in the home and in the church. I hope you enjoy this podcast. Thank you for watching and God bless. For it is by grace you are saved through faith, not of yourselves, but it is a gift of God. Ephesians 2.8 Welcome to Grace Bond Ministries. All right, everybody, welcome to Grace Bond Ministries. Uh, your host, Jonathan, host and founder, Jonathan Jenkins, and I've got my co-host, Christian Walton, here with me. And we've also got a special guest. Uh, her name is Lydia Clements. Let me go ahead and make sure you Gosh, can see yeah. everybody. <laughs> Um, so the topic today is why we hate women. Um, no, no. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, the topic today is called complementarianism, uh, which is a difficult word to spell because everywhere you spell it in a document, uh, it doesn't recognize it. So it thinks you, you always think you spell it wrong. So you just spell it with confidence. Uh, that's always been my motto with everything. So, uh, but first let's, uh, let's yeah. introduce ourselves a little bit. Uh, just in case you know you're new to the podcast, I'm Jonathan. I hold a bachelor's degree in Christian studies, uh, and uh, I'm also a youth pastor and a mortuary worker and uh, all kinds of different things, and also a new dad. And, and uh, the whole point of Grace Bond Ministries was really to, uh, to, open up, to open up opportunities for people to ask questions and uh, be comfortable talking about difficult and controversial topics. Uh, and we've covered a lot of different topics. Uh, since since Grace Bond Ministries has started and since Christian has joined and uh, we're excited to talk about this one today with uh, Lydia. Uh, so Christian, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself and then uh, and then Lydia, if you want to go after him. 
right, I'm Christian Walton. I have a bachelor's in Christian studies also. Me and Jonathan met up pretty much since I got there freshman year and I've just thrown ideas off of each other ever since. Um, I'm a student pastor in a small town in Georgia called Millen. If you don't know where that is, it's fine. I didn't either before I went there. But I cover youth and over the children's department. Luckily, I don't have to work both. I might go crazy. But I'm happy to be joining in. Glad to have come alongside Jonathan and continue to discuss these topics. So Lydia, yeah, let me uh, let me introduce you, Lydia, because it, it's always it's always seems to be easier when somebody else introduces you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> kind of bad. It's kind of difficult as a Christian to talk good about yourself. So, uh, <laughs> so all three of us, we all we all met in uh, in undergrad and and uh, really just went all all separate ways after that. But uh, during our time there, uh, Christian, I've always said Christian was one of the smartest people in the class. Uh, but Lydia always gave him a run for his money. <laughs> cool. Yeah. And uh, I think she ended up with uh, A's in both Greek classes. And, uh, you know, that's uh, if you ever take some Greek, you know how much that means. So yeah. <laughs> uh, Lydia was always somebody as soon as we met her. Uh, I, I've told the same story about Christian, this the whole group that came in. But uh, Lydia, too, especially was when she came in, it's like there's this whole new group coming to college and uh, with just this fire for God and the fire for ministry, uh, fire for a lot of things. And. Uh, it was just so cool seeing this dramatic shift in, in all these departments around campus as the new Christians were coming in and uh, pretty much taking over and changing the atmosphere on campus and uh, along with the strong leadership there. And so uh, Lydia has been doing missionary work and has uh, helped out with a lot of different things in a lot of different places <laughs> since she's been in ministry. Uh, even uh, And actually, even with me, I, we, we, I, we worked together for a long time at the school and then uh, she also came and played uh, piano at my, my first church I pastored in Georgia and uh, for a while. And, and uh, we just we've all known each other for a long time. And uh, we're definitely excited to have her on the podcast to talk about uh, such a difficult issue that we'll get to here in just a second. So, uh, Lydia, if you want to have anything else you want to introduce about yourself. Um, yeah, I guess just like I got the same degree you, you guys did. Um, I'm currently at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. Um, I'm getting my MDiv in international church planting. So the goal is overseas. Um, so I think that's about it. I recently got married. Um, but yeah, I love you guys. And I'm honored that you asked me to come on the podcast. <laughs> and Lydia can recruit anybody to do anything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> She was yeah, the prime recruiter. Up, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, wasn't it, wasn't it you, Lydia, that got all the speakers for revival that year? Yeah, yeah. I took so many trips to the IT department. I'm pretty sure I went to see Dr. Eccles at one point. Um, he wasn't there, but Miss Laura Hay was amazing help. Honestly, if you want anything done, she's the one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. So let me uh, let me uh, shift us into our topic here, uh, man. It's just this this topic is uh, it's difficult, and I think it's difficult mostly because of the culture we live in today, and how the wording is is worded in the Bible. Um, back then, the the culture was much different, and so it wasn't so dramatic when we read about these things in the Bible. But uh, what what all three the view that all three of us hold is called complementarianism, and we'll explain a little more about. 
um, our various views on that and some of the abuses of that uh, here in just a second. Yeah. Um, but complementarianism, this, the word complement, all right, the word complement, it means something that completes or makes perfect either of two parts or things needed to complete the whole or counterparts. All right. So the, 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 the a simple definition of complementarianism, it's important to get the understanding of this word to complement, right? It's not, it's not really subordination. It's not so, uh, so a man can have power over a woman or anything like that. It's that these two, uh, that men and women have different roles, right? They have different roles, but they're still equal in value. They're still equal in humanity um, and that sort of thing. So we're going to get to that here in, in a little bit more in just a second. But uh, this is a definition of complementarianism that I found. Um, this, it says that complementarianism is the teaching that masculinity and femininity, I think I said that right, um, are ordained by God and that men and women are created to complement or complete each other. Complementarians believe that the gender roles found in the Bible are purposeful and meaningful distinctions that when applied in the home and church promote the spiritual health of both men and women. Embracing the divinely ordained roles of men, roles of men and women furthers the ministry of God's people and allows men and women to reach their God-given potential. I believe that's a, a definition I got from uh, gotquestions.org, uh, one of the authors there. Uh, so before we move on to what egalitarianism is, because that's the, the view that directly challenges this view or, or is the direct opposite of this view, um, I want to talk about with, with, uh, with you guys what the, the, how it sometimes um, is misdefined or, or abused. Um, you know, we, I know all three of us have heard uh, horrible stories of uh, pastors and, and men, you know, that are uh, just abusive. So what are some of the ways that you guys have heard that it's, it's been misdefined or abused or something like that, or maybe you've even experienced? Well, a popular pastor who I won't name, once said that men should not even be taking directions from a woman, which seems a bit out of context to me. <laughs> so some people take it very far um, when they say that a man should be the head of the church or the head of a household. They go so far as to say a woman shouldn't be telling a man anything to do not even saying, take a right turn here. So that's that's a, a very popular example right now. <laughs> I think a lot of it's like they take the Bible culture. Am I coming in clear? Yeah. Okay. Just making sure. They take that Bible culture and say that's the same way now because back then they didn't see women as of equal value. That's why Christ had to bring that in. And they would say, all right, you work for me. You do this, looking at them as a maid more than an actual person, as somebody uh, as of one flesh. I don't want to get too far into the topic. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah. So, so some of the things I noted down uh, was, for one, I just mentioned it a second ago, and you guys kind of mentioned it, it's, is this idea that that some complementarians put forward that it's like a uh, it's like a like a superiority inferiority type of thing, like men are superior beings, 
and women are inferior beings, right? Uh, I'm sure you guys have heard that too. And, and uh, that's not what the view is. That's not what the word compliment means. Uh, it's, I mean, it's pretty simple. Just even in, just in that one word, that's not what it means. Um, I never in my entire life, I, I couldn't imagine what would happen if I told my wife, you know, you, did you know that I'm superior? Um, and I'm a greater human being? Uh, <laughs> uh, she probably would slap me. And uh, then she would put the baby in my face and let the baby slap me. But, uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, but that, that's definitely one abuse. I mean, I'm sure you all have seen that, too. Uh, Lydia, have you ever have you ever felt that? I mean, I'm sure you've been around a lot of complementarians. Have you ever felt that that somebody or even somebody told you that they're superior than you? <laughs> superior yeah, you? I. Um, well, whenever I was younger, like middle school. I went to like this little private Methodist school and I was going through this, this is when I really started, um, like my relationship with God, like blossomed, like that's when I really started reading the Bible for myself and, um, you know, things like that. And one day I was just like, I asked my teacher, I was like, why aren't, like it just registered in my brain, like, why aren't there any women pastors? And he was like, there are. And I was like, what? Because they were Methodist. And like, that was fine. And so I remember going home and being like, like, did you guys know like there are women pastors? Like, that's a thing. And of course, like, it, it, it wasn't for my family. <laughs> <laughs> um, but even as far, like, I mean, I'm, I won't name names, but there were points in undergrad where, um, even maybe in joking manners that things were said like, oh, like you're a woman, that's why you have that view or, you know, just things like that. Um, I haven't experienced it a terrible amount in churches. I think mostly because I've been a part of very small churches where if the women didn't do things, they wouldn't get done other than preach on Sundays. Um, so I haven't experienced much of that very firsthand, um, but I've definitely felt it in passing um and heard a lot about it <laughs> so most of it though most of it has been in joking manners because most of my friends know the conversation um and things like that so yeah yeah I know I I, I remember one time and this was I, I out of all the times Austin and I have had you know disagreements and he's been so patient and kind to me I made a joke one time and uh, it tore me to pieces. That was the only time I seen him get angry, and, he, and rightly so. I made some kind of joke about, you know, uh, his woman pastor that uh, she had a different theological view than me. And I said, well, she's wrong because she's a woman or something like that. And he got mad. And I would, too. I mean, if somebody said that to me today about a woman, I'd be mad, too. Yeah. And, I mean, that tore me to pieces. Uh, and I, I used to be one that would joke crudely even about that kind of thing and, and all kinds of things. But... Uh, and you know, finally, I said, "Well, wait a minute. That's not what the Bible teaches me to do." Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but another another uh, bad uh, definition of it, um, and these next two that I wrote down, they kind of go hand in hand. Um, it's it's like uh, <laughs> you know, especially with the New Age movement now, uh, there's like this. Apparently, there's a secret group of white, powerful men that are trying to control the entire world. Um, and, uh, because they're rich, they get away with it. It's basically the understanding from new agers. But, uh, I've kind of heard that though, even with this, 
as far as as far as complementarianism goes with uh, the household and the church is really what we're focusing on tonight. Um, uh, but I, and I've heard that used in ways and just terrible ways where men in their homes, <clears throat> they were I mean, they were, they were abusing their wives and then saying that it was biblical. Uh, beating their wives or whatever it, whatever it took to get their wives to submit to them, they said, well, that's all right because, you know, it's her fault she didn't submit or whatever, um, you know, and it was kind of th those kinds of uh, those kinds of things. I, I, I don't know. I heard about those a lot. I can't think of any times I had like counseling sessions about it, um, but I, I think that's a fear because we hear of so many times where uh, men do do that, do do, um, <clears throat> That's not what you want to say on a, on a <laughs> formal theological podcast. <laughs> I guess if you're me, it, it doesn't matter. But, um, but you know, I've heard that from women too. You know, I think that's one of the things when somebody says, "Oh, men are called to this role, but women aren't." You know, it's it's a and like like Remnant Radio said, uh, and, and I think his name's Josh on that. He was like, you know, this is a very offensive view, uh, especially in today's culture, and, mm -hmm. uh, and and I think that's why because they connect that with that kind of superiority. Same thing they do with slavery. And equate slavery now that we know of now to slavery like we like like and it's say it's the same thing as what they taught in the Bible, you know, which is just not true. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I, I'm I'm sure you guys have kind of heard about that too. I mean, y'all have any experiences with that, uh, or have y'all had any counseling sessions with with a woman that's that's been through something like that? Yeah. But I mean, you have a lot of women that are like i don't want to submit because most of the time that's what they equate that word with right that word is equated with hey i'm superior than you i'm in power go make me a sandwich yeah that yeah it, de it definitely does feel like i struggled with this for a long time like just the idea like misunderstanding it and thinking that the lord has made me as some kind of like inferior being like as a woman like there are things that I'm not allowed to do that a man is allowed to do and just kind of like this why did you make things like this God like what's what's the point because from a young age I I wanted to be involved in ministry and there were just questions like is this is this right should I be and I mean the conclusion is absolutely women should be involved in ministry but that's what we'll talk about today so but they're definitely like i mean it was a it was feeling that i had like why why was i made this way why are we inferior but we're not so yeah so before we move on to the egalitarian we we, we want to make sure that you understand that that and especially when you hear the egalitarian view um that we're not saying that uh that men and women are unequal um in in their humanity like like one's lesser and one's greater you know that's not what we're saying in the 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 clearest i've ever heard it was from adrian rogers and he said it's like uh like like the home is like a football field you know and and yeah the the most important player on the team is the quarterback he makes all the decisions he makes that final call you know and he makes those those <laughs> in the moment decisions you know but if you don't have your linebackers i mean he's going to get crushed you know so everybody has their role to play. You know, it's not that one's inferior or nothing. It's just everybody has a role to play. And that's, that's important when we hear this next definition because egalitarianism uh, literally comes from a word that means equal. 
Um, and the reason it's, it's, it's so hard to come find a good definition is because so many people twist it to say, even in their definitions, you're like basically saying that, that complementarianism is immoral, just even using the definition of egalitarianism, you know, when they say, well, it just means that all men and women are equal. Well, that's the same thing we're saying, you know, <laughs> in a way. Um, so it's, I, I, I finally found one. I think, I, I think fits well. And I think it really describes the position well. And this was from a, uh, this was from a website called Theopedia, and uh, this was an egalitarian positive argument, and this is how they defined it. And it says, egalitarianism within Christianity is a movement based on the theological view that not only are, are all people equal before God in their personhood, see, that's where we all agree at this point, but this is where we disagree, there are no gender-based limitations of what function or roles each can fulfill in the home, the church, and the society. It is sometimes referred to as biblical equality. Egalitarians understand the Bible as teaching the fundamental equality of women and men of all racial and ethnic groups, all economic classes, and all age groups. Based on the teachings and example of Jesus Christ, it should not be confused with secular, political, economic, social egalitarianism. Uh, <clears throat> so, and like I said, the word uh, egalitarianism comes from the, the word egal is 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 French for equal, um, and it, it's kind of it kind of means equality or that sort of thing. It li pretty much literally means equality, um, and so uh, I, I, this is also another one. That there's different there's different types. Uh, I, we forgot to mention this earlier, but there's different types of complementarianism, and we're going to look into some of that as we go along here. Uh, but there's also different types of egalitarians because uh, some people believe that women can have any role in the church, but that the man is the head of the household. You know, um, and there's there's different there's different levels of where people go with that. But uh, the way we've pretty much separated these two now, it's pretty clear. You know, if, if you think that women and men can do any role in the church, you're pretty much an egalitarian. Um, and if if you believe that roles are defined for each uh, each gender, uh, <laughs> the two genders, by the way, uh, you know, then uh, <clears throat> then you're a complementarian. All right, but there's also a lot of misunderstandings around this view too, uh, because a lot of times, like even that definition, you know, I could twist that in all sorts of different ways. You know, does it really not matter what age somebody is? You know, am I going to let a five-year-old pastor the church? Probably not. You know, am I going to let a 25-year-old that just got saved last week pastor a church? Probably not. You know, if it was if it was my call, it's not really my call, but <laughs> you know. But uh, there's a lot of misunderstandings that go in with that too. Um, and also a lot, one of the big ones that I've noticed, um, after I mentioned this, when I open the floor to y'all, if y'all want to add anything else about egalitarianism before we move on, but, uh, one of the big ones I've noticed from complementarians, especially is that they, they basically equate egalitarians with, uh, and say that egalitarians just don't read the Bible. You know, that's just the, what a, what a foolish argument. Uh, it's just <laughs> foolish. I mean, you talk to any egalitarian, they probably, if, especially if you're arguing like that, they probably know the Bible better than you do. Um, <clears throat> so um, that's foolish. And, and just to say that they're, oh, they're just, uh, you know, they're just picking and choosing what text to believe. That's not true either. Uh, you tell N.T. Wright that and let me know what he tells you with his awesome British accent. Um, <clears throat> so, and there's a lot of famous and, and very good theologians that believe uh, that women, that believe egalitarianism, you know, and, uh, uh, <clears throat> you know, like, um, uh, like N.T. Wright is one of the most popular ones. Um, and uh, Craig Keener is another very popular one. 
Uh, there's a lot of people that believe that. And there's a lot of people, a lot of strong theologians that believe complementarianism too. So uh, this this is definitely a, a an undecided issue at this point. But uh, y'all have anything else to add about egalitarianism? Maybe something you misunderstood about it, or or uh, something you've seen uh, in the ways that it's been abused by complementarianisms or misunderstood complementarianists and misunderstood or anything like that. It's a very enticing view, especially as a woman. Um, and I think until, until very recently, I didn't have a, like, I was like, yeah, I'm complementarian, but like, you know, maybe egalitarian. It was just kind of like an up in the air thing for me. I didn't really have a firm stance on either side. Um, until recently, whenever I, um, I kind of got a full picture, like a full, like biblical scope view of the reasons for complementarianism, not just because men should be the head of the household, but like theological reasons for why God ordained things this way. And now I think that for me, there is a stronger case. And I'm not going to say like, you're an egalitarian, like, you know, I have egalitarian friends. It is a view. Um, and it's a very enticing view. So, yeah, that's what I have to say. <laughs> I think it, it goes along with culture and especially, like, I guess growing up or early on, it's looked at as the feminist movement, basically. Everybody we think who's egalitarian is automatically feminist. I don't think that's it either. So I think that's a common misconception. There's different realms, and in the end, we can still work together. It's not a gospel-based issue. It's a hot issue, but I don't think it's a gospel-based issue. Yeah, and for the purposes, uh, I mean, especially this podcast, you know, we're, we're pretty much starting with the presupposition for this podcast that uh, you, you already believe the Bible is authoritative. Um, so we're, yeah. What we're going to talk about here next is what the Bible actually says about this, and you got to be very careful. You know, uh, I, I mean, I know a lot of a lot of women that 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 could preach some great sermons. That could probably pastor better than any man I know, uh, any any minister I've ever met. You know, uh, but it's just not the role that God called us to. So uh, <clears throat> we just need to be very careful that this doesn't turn into just an emotional thing we, we i don't think we need to neglect the emotional side either um you yeah. know none of us want to get off this podcast with people thinking that uh you know we're abusive to women you know or that we actually do hate women uh, i i joked about that because people have made that claim about me just because of my view I and mean, sometimes it was because i was being a jerk but uh you know sometimes it was just it was just because of the view i mean all i did was mention it and and just people get on edge and angry um, you know, and when the, when the Bible's our authority, we need to respect the, the authority of scripture, uh, when it comes to this issue. And, uh, you know, I like Lydia, I mean, I, I, I'd much rather be egalitarian. Uh, but then as I, you know, as I studied and, and realized how all this starts from Genesis all the way to the, to the end, I mean, how God designed us in a certain yeah. way to, to perform better in these roles, um, and uh, so he, he calls us to those roles to, pr to protect us, watch over us, and that sort of thing. So, uh, all right. Y'all have anything else to add before we get to the biblical text? No. I can't ask that question when we get to the biblical text because you can't add to the biblical text. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's interpretation, man. Yeah. All right. So 
I, I just want to go ahead and start with some uh, some biblical text. Um, I'm sure all of us, all three of us, probably want to. We're gonna, we're going to start with biblical text that support complementarianism uh, very strongly, and I, I think pretty much clear. Some of them not so much. Maybe take a little bit of explanation or a little bit deeper thinking on it. Um, so I'll, I'll go ahead and let y'all start. But whichever one of y'all, I don't know if y'all had planned anything to talk about in Genesis. Uh, I know Lydia had something, so. Um, let's go ahead and start with Genesis and then kind of move our way through into the New Testament. Yeah. Go ahead, Lou. Yeah. So um, I was recently introduced to this idea. And so far, I haven't found anything wrong with it. But you guys, feel free to jump in and disagree with anything. Um, so I feel like throughout scripture, like we can see that like everything is pointing back to the Old Testament, right? Like Christ proclaims that he's the one like that has been revealed in the Old Testament. So in Genesis, you know, like God makes Adam and Eve and textually, the reason for a man and a woman was to have babies. <laughs> like this is why God made a man and a woman. Um, and so right from the start, we see roles here. Um, but what's more intriguing to me is the account of the fall. Um, so we see God gives in the text, God gives the instructions not to eat from the tree to Adam. Um, and textually, it seems it was Adam's responsibility to really this to Eve. Um, and even in New Testament passages, we see that Eve was deceived. Um, and we see that it was through one man that sin entered the world. Um, so right now, I'm under the impression that when Eve ate the fruit, she was being deceived and Adam wasn't. So my view of complementarianism right now is not that, is not that women are like, Women, like God said, women, you should not be the head of this. You should not do this. But more so, it's a responsibility of the man to fulfill that which he didn't do before. Just as Christ is the new Adam, um, men are to share God's word and share the gospel and lead the church in this way because they didn't lead the woman in the garden. Um, and so that's kind of where I am right now. Um, just this, this idea that it's redemptive. It's redemptive for men to be the ones sharing the gospel. So, yeah, I don't know what you guys think about that. I mean, the only, uh, the only pushback I would give is one of my arguments I was just about to give was, um, the authority Adam had before the fall. Um, because that, and I, I think there's probably still room in that view to, to say he had authority before the fall. Yeah. Um, I mean, I mean, what do you think about that? I mean, you think, do you think he had authority before the fall or is it, or is, uh, the difference in roles just simply a, a cause of the curse or an effect of the curse? Um, what, what specifically the authority are you talking about? Um, <clears throat> well, really any of it. I mean, if, if, I don't know, it's kind of hard to get speculative here. Um, uh, you know, cause it's, it's always hard to think of a world where, there was no Old Testament. There was no Messiah. There was no Christ. 
you know, but I mean, if, if we all, if every single human being that ever existed just lived in the garden of Eden, um, I mean, would there still have been a, a role for the man and a role for the woman or would all of them just share the load for everything together? Uh, it's, it's kind of difficult to think about because it is so speculative and depending on your sovereignty views, it may not even be possible. So, (laughs) (laughs) uh, so I don't know. I mean, do you, do you see a, do you see an authoritative side of Adam before the fall? I definitely Uh, do. Um, just because of the fact that, I mean, if we're looking, if we're looking new Testament, you know, the church is the bride of Christ. Like Christ has ultimate authority over that. You know, just that picture right there is, I think that would more so make me say that Adam had authority than textually speaking. Um, Like, yes, it says that Eve was made as a helper. um, And yeah, so it says that she was made as a helper. So it does seem that there was already this leading responsibility, but um, I mean, when it when it comes to the church and when it comes to preaching God's word, like it doesn't seem like God would be like, okay, women, like you can't proclaim the gospel to a crowd of people. Like that doesn't what it, that it it seems more to me that that specific role is more so of the redemptive nature. Does that make sense? Uh, yeah, it makes a little sense. <laughs> uh, <laughs> go ahead, Christian. I think you can look at where Adam is given, like, the commands, like, name the animals. And you see Eve brought on. She wasn't given any direct commands but to help Adam. And I think it was almost his lack of authority that led to the fall because we see that he was standing there when Eve ate of the fruit and he said nothing. Yeah. That, though, like Lydia pointed out, he, he was told. <laughs> yeah. That was where I was about to go with it too. That's why I, I think we can see that in, uh, in Genesis two, I mean, we'll come back to Genesis one because I think that's uh, an important uh, text for egalitarians, but uh, <clears throat> you know, I, I think in Genesis two, you know, Adam's created first and he's given all this authority over the land. I mean, and it's uh, at first it's authority, but really, and this is why I think you could still have the redemptive view that you're talking about because it was his responsibility. Um, and that's how, that's how I really view complementarianism. It's not that one's better. It's not that we're unequal. Um, it's that one has the responsibility to do this and one has the responsibility to do that. Um, so I think you can see that it, it was Adam's responsibility. And that's why I think at the fall, um, it says that as God's going through the garden, he asked Adam, where the heck are you at, man? You know, that's my translation, yeah. but, uh, <laughs> you know, he asked Adam first. He doesn't say, woman, where are you? He says, man, Adam, where are you? Uh, you know, and so I think we could see even from even from right there at the fall that it was uh, it was Adam's responsibility to watch over that and protect him and his mm-hmm. wife from sin. Y'all have uh, y'all have anything else there in the in the creation y'all want to talk about? I did hear an egalitarian. Uh listening to a podcast she said where when god called adam right there that it translates to man or mankind so she took it as mankind which i mean i don't take it that way but that was an interesting argument yeah um and and even even the word helper 
uh, it's really hard for us complementarians to make the case off a helper because the same words used for God. Uh, mm-hmm. And we're sure as heck not saying that man's better than God. You know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that, that's also, a, 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 I think that was a pretty good one. I heard that from, uh, 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 what's the guy's name? Mike. I forget what his last name is. Pastor Mike. Uh, that does all his YouTube. He has a massive YouTube channel. Mike Winger? Uh, Mike Winger, yeah. Okay. Uh, he, he did a very, I think he's still in the middle of it. He's doing a very long uh, series on it. Wow. Uh, Okay, so what, what else in, in the Old Testament before we move on to the New Testament? And we're really, we're probably going to have to come back to the creation uh, when we get to the New Testament passages anyways. But uh, so, I mean, what else do we see in the Old Testament that really supports, seems to support complementarianism? Uh, I, 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 know, I know for me, I've actually been reading, uh, I've actually been reading, gosh, man, I can't remember nothing. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he'll come to me here in a second um uh, is god a moral monster by paul copan and uh he addresses the he addresses the uh, the hyper the the uh new age atheists really are really the ones making all this big fuss about the old testament but uh he addresses like uh women not being allowed to be called priests uh, <clears throat> you know and i, I mm-hmm. think that it's, it's i think you see pretty consistently throughout the old testament that men are called to do certain jobs, right? And, you know, and I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm not blind. I can see that there's also women that are called in the Old Testament to do certain things too, you know, Definitely. like uh, like Deborah, uh, you know. But uh, it seems like even with the role of priest, I mean, there was it was men who were called to do that. Um, and I mean, and, and and if you really want to get into that kind of thing and and how all that really worked in its context in the Old Testament, I, I would highly suggest Paul Copan's book. Um, it was it was an eye opener for me, and I've been talking about and thinking about this stuff for years. And just reading his book recently, uh, you know, when he when he addresses that, the way I can't remember all the specific details, but you know, one of the things with God in the Old Testament was he wanted to he wanted Israelite the Israelites to understand holiness and 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 uh, and purity and uh, and all that. And so um, I don't know, y'all have anything to add on that? I mean. The different, I mean, there's different, uh, just all the different roles in the Old Testament where, uh, you know, men are called to these roles and, and not women, uh, typically. Um, to that, I would say, I think there is a pretty strong case that both Adam and Eve were acting as co-priests in the garden. Um, so, yeah, there's that. Um. And y'all know as well as me, there is some pretty disturbing stories and things in the Old Testament about women. Uh, trying to see, I was wondering if I had a good quote here I marked, but um, but yeah, Paul Copan, if you really want to get into that and the women in the Old Testament, Paul Copan's book uh, is very good. And I'm not even sure Paul Copan is a complementarian, but he at least uh, he at least thinks that uh, in the Old Testament that, uh, that, uh, that uh, I mean, it's pretty obvious with the priests. I mean, there was no, I mean, unless, unless in the Garden of Eden, um, and this could be an effect of the fall or something. Um, but, uh, you know, in, in, during Israelite's time, there were no women called to be priests. And uh, I can't, I wish I could remember the specific details, but um, part of it had to do with childbearing and, and uh, there, 
with a man because there were a lot of men that weren't allowed to be priests either. Um, yeah. And and purity was very important, you know. And for a woman with with periods and pregnancy and that sort of thing, that would make them impure uh, for for sometimes a long amount of time, uh, for good reason, I, I think, because of, of God's purposes and all that. But uh, that's a whole other topic for a different day. But um, all right, so y'all have anything else to add to the Old Testament before we move on to the New? I mean, I guess this is tag teaming in between complementarianism and egalitarianism, but we see like the importance of women also. Like Moses had Moses and Aaron, they had their sister oftentimes with them. Like she didn't have a specific position, but you can tell that she went along with them. Um, even in Moses's life, his mom had to put him in the river. She played an important role there. Uh, Pharaoh's daughter is the one that found Moses, and we wouldn't be where we were. Moses wouldn't have come to where he was at. Yeah, and a lot of the Old Testament laws, that's what Paul Copan argues, that a lot of the Old Testament laws that sound very harsh to us in this day and age were actually very protective and, and loving and kind, especially compared to other ancient Near Eastern laws like Hammurabi and, and – uh, yeah. And stuff like that. I mean, they were, they were, these are the, the Old Testament laws were very loving, very caring, very protective. Um, you know, and it, it actually, like when a man got with a woman and they married, I mean, it meant something. So that's why they would, there would be like an exchange, like a down payment of, of property or something along with that. Yeah. Um, because, you know, like the father would, would give the, give, uh, basically give his daughter, uh, it's like a, almost like a savings account. And uh, yeah. give her give her extra just in case her husband left her or divorced her or whatever. She would still have land and animals and stuff like that uh, in the midst yeah. of that, so she wouldn't be you know left alone and stuff. Uh, you see that Ruth too with with Ruth and, and Moab and uh, so women the women definitely were were taken care of um, in the Old Testament. It had some very very powerful roles uh, in the Old Testament as yeah. well. Um, of course, and, and that's the thing is when we look all the way through the Old Testament into the New Testament. Uh, we see that relationship uh, between the two, though. That's that's the that's the important key is to seeing how they how men and women related to one another, uh, how God called all these men to action and called these all these prophets to action. Um, you know, it's and, and sometimes and especially in the book of Judges, I mean, things were getting bad. You know, uh, I'm sure at that point God would basically take whatever He could get. You know. <laughs> I mean, he used Samson. Everybody thinks Samson was a great story, but Samson broke every Nazarite vow that he, he made, <laughs> you know? Yep. Uh, so anyway, so let's move on to the New Testament. We're running out of time here. Um, so as far as verses that actually, that I think support complementarianism, uh, I don't know if you mark the, you guys mark these down, but, um, you know, 1 Corinthians, we'll start in 1 Corinthians since it's the first book. Um, but in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 3, it says, but I want you to know that Christ is the head of every man, and the man is the head of the woman, and God is the head of Christ. Um, so I don't, I don't think we can, um, I don't think we can understand that without uh, looking at some of these other verses. Um, but even in that, he actually, and this is what's interesting, like Lydia brought up, is he actually connects that with the creation story. You know, so this isn't something new that just popped up. This is something that's been around since the creation story. Uh, because then later on in verses uh, eight and nine, he also says, uh, for man did not come from woman, but woman came from man. Neither was man created for the sake of woman, but woman for the sake of man. 
Uh, do y'all have any thoughts on that? Have y'all, have y'all, did y'all do any, I don't know if that was a verse that y'all were going to bring up or not. Um, but y'all have any thoughts before we go on to something else here? Hold on. Let me read through that one more time. Yeah. So, uh, <clears throat> yeah, while you're doing that, I mean, uh, I, I think this is very important. I, I think it's clear in like Colossians uh, when it talks about how uh, Christ is the head and then it's basically Christ, the man and the, and the woman and the wife. Uh, in the family, and then the children below below them, um, that uh, that the, the the parents are over both of both of the parents are over the children. They have authority or position over the children. Um, <clears throat> but uh, it, like like I said, I, th- I think it becomes clear when we get to that. And I'll read it here in just a second. Uh, but I think it becomes clear when we get to that because we see the that there is a key in all that. You know, it's not this abusive relationship. You know, it's not that the man is supposed to have some uh, bigger strength and power over the woman or anything like that. Um, there's something specifically that God has intended here, uh, a specific way for it to work and for it to work perfectly. Um, so do you have any thoughts there, Lydia? Um, I'm just thinking, I don't have anything specific to say to egalitarian or complementarian. Um, yeah, uh, I'm, I'm just thinking back to it. It was through the woman that um, the seed of Christ would come, though. Right. So it does say that, you know, like woman was made from man. Um, but there is this promise that like Christ would come through the seed of a woman. And I don't it, it just seems like, yeah, anyways, that's all. That's all I have to say there. <laughs> yeah. That's important. That's important to keep bringing up too, because we want to make sure that uh, people don't misunderstand complementarianism to say that we think women are some lesser beings that Women played important roles and very, very important roles, you know, and it's funny because out of Ruth and Moab, uh, Moab is not even really mentioned in the lineage. I'm pretty sure. Uh, if I remember right, Moab's not mentioned, is he? But Ruth, Ruth is also mentioned, Ruth though. Yeah. And without, yeah. without Ruth being there, uh, you know, there would be no, no lineage, you know, leading up to David, you know. So, yeah, uh, <clears throat> yeah I thought both of them were mentioned. Um but yeah, I mean, Ruth, I mean, Moabitess, I mean, I'm sure y'all probably all know that story, but, um, you know, there are, there are important roles that women play throughout, uh, throughout uh, God's history. Um, so, I, like I said, I think to make it clearer, uh, when we get to like Ephesians, like five, um, it talks about submitting to your husbands. I think Colossians, uh, Colossians is good too, but uh, let me read this here in Ephesians. Uh, so at, in the, at the end of Ephesians chapter five, in verse 22, this is, this is super important. If you're really going to understand the, the least the role of men and women uh, in the household, this is what he says. Uh, he says, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, because the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of the body. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives are to submit to their husbands in everything. Now, if you stop there and didn't read the rest, you would immediately think, wow, how abusive is Christianity to women? You know, uh, but there's a key. And if and if and true Christians know that that the way Christ relates to us is through love and, and grace and mercy. Um, and so that's why he says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. He did this to present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands are to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. 
For no one ever hates his own flesh, but provides and cares for it, just as Christ does for the church. Since we are members of his body, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This mystery is profound, but I am talking about Christ and the church. To sum up, each one of you is to love his wife as himself, and the wife is to respect her husband. Now you see that when he talks about some submitting and all that, he, he's not even, you know, he, he doesn't even use as strong of language as he does for slavery. And, and uh, you know, most of the slavery in that time was really indentured servanthood. Um, but, you know, he's just so generous and kind and compassionate when he talks about it. And love has to be at the center of that. You know, like I, I, in, my, in my understanding of what it means to, uh, uh, to be the man of the household, it's not even that I have to make all the money. It's not that I have to make the most money. It's that it's, it's my responsibility to make sure there is money. It's my responsibility yeah. to watch over and protect it and uh, lead my family spiritually. Um, but good Lord, if my wife didn't help me, <laughs> you know, I'm already working enough. I can imagine what I had to be doing if she wasn't helping me. So um, all right, I'll let y'all jump in there. I've been talking a long time. So, <laughs> Yeah, I think that once again, you see this picture that the the husband and wife are supposed to be a picture of Christ and the church, as you were talking about. And I almost would go even so far as to say that um, the headship of the husband to the wife is of spiritual nature. I mean, I think it is necessary for a husband, if he is loving his wife like Christ is loving the church, to have a want to provide for her. Um, but I mean, if you're leading, if you're leading your household and like, say, like, I'm going to get my doctorate degree, let's pretend it was in something that's not ministry. And I would actually make money with a doctorate <laughs> degree, you know, or my <laughs> master's degree or whatever I pursue, you know, if I was able to make more money than Jose, you know, Jose was like, I would be more than willing to take care of our children and do these things because, he would say that would be the best way for us, you know, or like, you know, just something like that, like a bizarre case. Um, but as long as Jose is seeking out the best, he's laying down his life for me. He's, he's reminding me of um, the gospel. He's spiritually leading me. I would say he's fulfilling the role of being you know, a godly husband, and he would be the head of the household, even if I was out making more money than him. Like, I don't even think that has to be, you know, that's not the thing. It's, it's yeah. the idea of he is loving me in a way that Christ loved the church, and he's leading me like that. And I, I actually have, uh, they're, they're an older couple. Uh, I don't know how old they are, but they're like, grand, they're grandparents, so uh, they're at least that old. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, he actually, you know, for the longest time, they kind of had you know, that view, I, I think they would probably, if you really pushed them on it, they probably would kind of lean towards complementarianism still. Um, or if they weren't complementarianism, they still would. But uh, he, he, was, he was actually providing for the house, providing all the money. And, um, uh, but he got injured uh, to where he basically couldn't, he can't walk for long periods of time anymore. And so he's on disability. So his wife started working and pretty much got a really good job uh, to where he doesn't have to work, you know. Um, but the, it, it's still, you know, just, just even in that moment, like you could tell uh, that there was love for one another, you know, that, that the wife stepped up, but, um, you know, even then, and, and I, and the, the way I run my household, I can, I can speak on this and Lydia and 
uh, Christian soon enough, hopefully. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, I mean, we're, we're living it, you know. And, and being a complementarian is I'm being a man that is a husband and has a child and is a, um, you know, and is a, 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 a pastor. And, uh, you know, I know what that role feels like to have the responsibility, but I would be a fool to think that I was going to do this without my wife. I'd be a fool to think that I was going to do youth ministry without my, my women helpers, you know. I mean, it would be impossible, uh, <clears throat> you know. So I, I think that's the key is, is to make sure it all works together and, and and, uh, you know, the Trinity is, is the, the most powerful way we can understand how relationship is, is, can be perfected um, in the midst of that. Um, that's kind of all I had for the New Testament. So whatever you guys want to add, any other passages or anything, y'all go ahead. Uh, or the, the, the Timothy ones, too. Yeah. Well, talking about, like, submission and mentions here, I was listening to a podcast about Jackie Hill Perry. And, I mean, if you know her story, she went from being this woman who was gay and she had that sort of women mentality, like the feminist movement that she had come from. And she's like, when I looked at Christ and he was here on earth and he was submitting to the father, she's like, how could I think that I was any better that even Christ had to submit to his father. And so we see that. And I always thought of, I'm like, you should, the man should be submitting to Christ should be submitting to God so much and in such a way that his wife willingly does that. It shouldn't have to be a forceful thing. It's kind of like you should have to earn the respect before they're going to give it to you in the same type of realm. It's yeah. like we're not left off the hook. As a, as a, as a Christian woman and as a wife, um, it's a lot easier not that it has to be easier to stomach because like it's the Lord's word, but yeah. it's a lot easier to stomach that when, when you realize that Christ was submitting to the father, that he laid down his life for the church. And that's the model that your like your husband should have. Yeah. And the model that um, the pastor of the church should have just this idea of servant leadership um, yeah. because, you know, like, if my husband is loving me as Christ loves the church, it should be easy to submit to him. You know, like it should be like a, like a thank you, you know? Yeah. So when you think about it in that light and not as a, not as a, you can't do this because you're a woman, it's, yeah. um, you know, like this is the picture God's painted for us. Like um, we're representing, like in our marriage, we're representing like him and the church, which is amazing. Like, that's just amazing to think about, you know? So. Yeah. Um, all right, let's move on here. We definitely got to cover this first Timothy passage. Um, <laughs> and we'd be terrible complementarians if we didn't talk about this passage. Um, uh, so let me read it. Y'all want to, y'all want to split it up. We'll do Timothy, I mean, uh, chapter two first, then we'll move on to chapter three. Sound good to y'all? Okay, that's what I'm going to do anyways. So, uh, <laughs> so sorry, Master. All right, this is First Timothy chapter two, uh, verse eight. This is CSB. Uh, you can argue with me about that later. Uh, it I says, will. therefore, <laughs> <laughs> therefore, I want the men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands. What are, what are holy hands? Y'all ever seen the Tim Hawkins thing of the different the different waves in uh, in church? So wash the wash the window. Wash the window. Yep. <laughs> okay. 
My fish um, was this big. Uh, yeah, apparently Tim <laughs> talked to Tom too. So I mean, Paul. Uh, but he says, lifting up holy hands without anger or argument. Also, the women are to dress themselves in modest clothing. Now, that's kind of funny with the story I was telling you all earlier about the uh, teenager. Uh, with decency and good sense, not with elaborate hairstyles, gold, pearls, or expensive apparel, but with good works, as is proper for women who profess to worship God. A woman, a woman is to learn quietly with full submission. I do not allow, allow a woman to teach or to have, the, have authority over a man. Instead, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first and then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and transgressed, but she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with good sense. Well, there you have it. Uh, that's the end of the podcast. We read the passage. It's in the Bible. Uh, complimentary. I mean, uh, you got to <laughs> never read this passage. Uh, we don't know what they're doing. Uh, so, no. Uh, obviously there's some, there's some discussion we have to have here. So, uh, you guys want to start us off? Uh, one of y'all want to start us off? So I don't have to answer. First of all, I would just like to say that as a woman, you are not required to have a child to be saved. That is not what this verse is saying. <laughs> and you do not have to. That, but you don't have the child now. I'm just playing. You're not required <laughs> to have a child. <laughs> I couldn't imagine the day she gave birth about it said, you're saved. <laughs> <laughs> I got enough trouble for eating a cracker. I ate one cracker. I told her, I said, I'm not going to eat anything because you can't eat anything. And I ate one cracker. And I said, I don't want to pass out. And she said, hey, you self <laughs> I, well, I just, I feel like I should say that because I personally have people very close to me who think that if you are following biblical mandates, you have to have at least three children, not one, not two, but three, because God calls you to multiply. So You can go times one, times two. I don't know. It was a whack view. I just feel like <laughs> we should say that to establish that it's not necessary because it's been fulfilled in Christ. Like, that's the reason we had to have children. It's fulfilled. So... <laughs> Look back at multiplication time table. You have 12. You need to have 12 children. <laughs> like the disciples. Multiple wives. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> no, no, we've already moved on from the Old Testament. Let's, let's let Paul Copan deal with his own problems. That was outlawed in 1972. Oh, okay. Unless you're Mormon. No, no, no. Too soon. But it's also in this passage that, that you see, like, Eve was deceived. It doesn't say Adam was deceived. Um, I don't know how you guys feel about that, but I'm, I'm sold out. Anyways, um, so, <laughs> um, now when you say that though, I mean, I mean, Adam was not, I mean, cause some people will say, well, so, so Eve faces punishment, Adam doesn't. Well, no, that's not what the verse says in, in yeah. Genesis three. <laughs> right. Right. Like, good luck, yeah. buddy. You got to deal with thorns and hard work. And <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, this was a hard, this was a hard passage for me, right? And of course, like, we can go back, you know, with the whole, like, don't wear pearls, don't wear gold, don't adorn yourselves, dress modestly. Like, we can tie that all back to, like, you know, paganism. There were temple prostitutes. We don't want to be like that. Um, we want to be different. Um, we can also say, you know, that... 
Um, we don't want to be like taking attention, like away from God. We don't want to be stumbling blocks. Like we can say all of those things, but then you get here and you're kind of like, well, of course, anybody like egalitarians would make the case that this is probably cultural. Um, but like, it, it's, it's hard to say like, you know, women learn in submissiveness, but I do think, you know, like be quiet and be submissive and learn. Um, I do think that this is because of the picture we're presenting of Christ and the church. And men just happen to be the representative of Christ. And we have to be submissive to that. And that's why they have the command to be teaching in churches. Um, and I don't think that it's that women can't teach um, because I'm under the assumption that women can do anything in the church other than be the head pastor. But I think that it's men's responsibility. And honestly, praise the Lord. It's not my responsibility. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I, I, I've heard a couple things on this passage. I mean, one, uh, what egalitarians will say is that it was a cultural shift, like you just said. And basically, um, an argument I've heard is that women were basically standing up in church and causing a fuss and, and all this stuff. But the difficulty that I've had in the last couple of years, so I used to think that. I used to think, well, no, the first First Timothy 2 is cultural. But First Timothy three is not. All right, that don't make any sense. Um, but I, I think, uh, wow, I was pretty hardcore there. Uh, <laughs> but uh, okay, sorry, it can make a little sense. Um, <laughs> but uh, you know, it's it's more like uh, not necessarily don't make sense, but it's like inconsistent to say that the passage right before the passage about pastors is you know it's cultural, but then the the passage about pastors in chapter three is not cultural. Um, that, that just, it, it, it's just kind of inconsistent to me, but the thing though, that I think is interesting is, um, women did speak in house churches. I mean, I, I would pretty much bet money that, uh, that Prisca, I mean, she probably spoke and helped, uh, you know, Aquila all the time. Uh, they were, they were two powerful house, uh, house church leaders and, and church and planters. Lydia. Yeah. And Lydia, uh, <clears throat> wow. You know a lot about her. Um, <laughs> You know, uh, so but the thing is, is it, considering that it's connected with chapter three, I mean, you, you got to know how the Bible is written. There was no chapters and verses and all that. I mean, this was supposed to be one letter written at, read at one time, not in bits and pieces. Um, and it's connected with that that role and authority, uh, really more the authority, I think, of teaching. And that's why we we all kind of come to the view that women can pretty much do anything except for teach. Um, we'll come back to the more practical side here in just a minute. Uh, uh, we need to go ahead and move on here. Let me move to, to chapter three. All right, so chapter three, the most famous verse, what, what complementarians will do is they'll read this verse and say, that's it, uh, it's over, it's done. Uh, but I actually argue that it's really not uh, the most powerful verse. I think the, the whole of scripture is what's powerful and going back to creation and uh, following it through. Uh, but this says, the saying is this saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to be an overseer, he desires a noble work. An overseer, therefore, must be above reproach. Now, listen, there's going to be a bunch of men that are cut out of this, too. Uh, mm. Above reproach, the husband of one wife, self-controlled, sensible, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not an excessive drinker, not a bully, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not greedy. He must manage his own household competently. And have his children under control with all dignity. If anyone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of God's church? 
He must not be a new convert or he might become conceited and incur the same condemnation as the devil. Furthermore, he must have a good reputation among outsiders so that he does not fall into disgrace in the devil's trap. Deacons, likewise, should be worthy of respect, not hypocritical, not drink a lot of wine, not greedy for money, holding the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. They must also be tested first. If they prove blameless, then they can serve as deacons. Wives, too, must be worthy of respect, not slanderers, self-controlled, faithful in everything. Deacons are to be husbands of one wife, managing their children and their own households competently. For those who have served well as deacons acquire a good standing for themselves and great boldness in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. All right, y'all want to get us started on that? Or do we even need to explain it? I mean, <laughs> this plan. Says what it says. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Go ahead, Christian. I talked big, long, the last one. You're just going to throw me on this one. <laughs> but how do I go about this? I mean, it shows that it's not a position to be held lightly. And, I mean, we're most complementarians just look at, oh, it's the husband and one wife. Husband can't be a woman. And then they just leave it at that. There's nothing else to there. But I think it just, I guess, like we've been saying, the church in Christ, and it, I mean, it says all these characteristics, and looking at the deacons, it's like there's still a partnership there. The men have to fulfill these certain characteristics, but it also talks about the deacons' wives, how they have to be a certain way also. And it's talking about, if we look at, the men as the head of the household, then you look at how he has to have his children in order. He's still the head. He has to have, has to help them. And it's talking about within the church. Go ahead, Lydia. No, I'm just thinking like, there's like a reputation of pastor's children that says that <laughs> the overseers should manage their children. <laughs> yeah. honestly i wish that we would actually follow this (laughs) for deacons and pastors uh because i I mean i i some of these pastors i'm like well who the heck or man i get so jealous of other denominations because i'm southern baptist and we believe in autonomy of the churches but i get so jealous of other denominations that uh, have just a little bit more authority and pull (laughs) <laughs> in churches um, yeah and uh, they're a lot stronger in their in their government but you know is that really a proper way to do it or whatever that's a whole other topic but um, th- this 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 passage is powerful um, but yeah. one of the things when it says husbands of one wife because I, I don't plan on bringing this passage back up for the egalitarian side but uh, basically what an egalitarian would say uh, especially in that one uh, is that uh, during that time, and I think it was—I I think it was pretty popular in that time—to have multiple wives or to be, you know, cheating or whatever. Um, but I mean, that—that that really is just a, a lack of, you know, self-control. You know, like if 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 I knew a pastor, especially if it was my pastor or or another leader in the church, you know, um, you know, was was, uh, you know, sleeping around or cheated on his wife or something, I would say, listen. Uh, you can be forgiven of this. I think you can come back to this ministry, uh, but you've got to get this right. You know, I mean, that would go for any of that stuff. I mean, if, 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 if the household seems like it's just train wrecked, you know, and you're like, you, the, the dad's not 
Uh, the father's not watching his household, but he expects to come pastor a church. I mean, he's always going to have a hard time. I think the scripture's uh, clear, and I think this personal experience is clear. Uh, and so I, 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 I do think, though, uh, the most powerful argument that, that only a man is called um, to both of these, um, uh, which it doesn't. Yeah, it does. Um, uh, it says it's for deacons and pastors. That they have to be able to manage their own households. Uh, I think throughout all of Scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, wherever, I think men are called to have the responsibility of taking care of their own households. Uh, and for what we were talking about before, we may all disagree on this a little bit, but uh, I hold to the view that uh, as far as uh, that that women um, can do anything in the church or, or allow, it's, it's such a hard thing to do. You put any <laughs> of these verbs in there, and it sounds like I'm I'm being you know, malicious or something, but, uh, the, but, but I think men are called to do, uh, or women are called to do whatever they want, whatever they desire, not really whatever they want, but whatever God's called them to. Um, but I don't think that God's going to call a, a woman to be a pastor or a deacon. Uh, and, uh, and, and, you know, why do people feel sometimes they need to do that? You know, that's, that's something you got to take on a case by case basis. But um, I think God has set it up though, in a way that men are to be pastors and deacons and, and, and elders. Uh, so I would never, uh, in, in a church that I was a pastor of, I would not, um, I would not, uh, if a woman came to me or if I, even if I thought a woman would make a good, uh, you know, a good deacon, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't, I don't think that scripture, uh, permits that a, a woman is, is, is called and designed to be a deacon. Um, and I, and I hold though, the difference is I hold that, that, that deacon is also an office, just like a pastor or elder. Um, and it also says deacons are supposed to be able to run their own households as well. Now, the problem with the word deacon, though, is that deacon just really, in its basic definition, means uh, it, it means servant. You know, so anybody can be a servant, but I think the position of deacon is like a servant leader. You know, and that's why when they chose, you know, the men in Acts, in Acts 6, the first deacons or whatever, I mean, they were men that, that did all that ministry. They were servant leaders. Uh, they weren't just, you know, just randomly picked servants, you know. I mean, I, obviously, I, I don't know how anybody could run a church without having women serve. Uh, that would be, I'm sure the women would love it. I mean, I wouldn't complain if I was a woman, but uh, <laughs> you guys do all the work. We'll just sit here. You guys serve us, you know. Uh, so that's what I, I, I think it's a very powerful passage. But, uh, you know, like I mentioned before, I don't think that this is just a one and one, one and done thing. Um, I think if you miss the whole scope of scripture and you miss the, the natural tendencies, the natural design of man and woman, uh, I think then if you if you don't get those points, then I think you're going to miss complementarianism, not just if you misunderstand this passage. And I remember one of my one of my close friends or a friend, close friend of all of ours, I remember the one question I've ever been able to ask this guy that made him stop was, well, what do you think? He was an egalitarian. I said, well, what do you think about, uh, you know, is a woman called to be the head of the household or is the man? And he just didn't know what to answer. And, and you guys probably know what I'm talking about. And I've never heard this guy not be able to answer a question. And I'm sure he might be able to now. This was years ago. Uh, but he, pulled, he was pulling books off the shelf. We were in the library. He's pulling books off the shelf trying to answer the question. You know, um, And it's something that a true egalitarian is going to say it doesn't matter which one of them runs the household. Or uh, you know, we both run the household and, yeah. and try to, yeah, uh, they try to separate <laughs> like that. But. I mean, I would say the same thing that, yeah, I don't run the household by myself and uh, good luck telling my wife that Jonathan runs their household. 
I I have the responsibility, but we we do things together, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I I just to clarify, I don't I don't think it's a a lack of capability that a woman shouldn't be in these positions. It's not that yeah. we're not intelligent enough to read the scripture and know what, like, you know, discern what God is saying, or it's not that we aren't capable with money or we're too emotional. It's nothing to do with capability, I don't think. It's everything to do with responsibility. Um, just for clarity. <laughs> and I think, you were talking about the calling, like you brought, he wouldn't call a woman into the uh, office of overseer or deacon. And like, I know we've had some people in the past, like they probably felt that calling, like I, I'm called to share the gospel. Like I need to be in ministry of some sort. And I think a lot of people automatically, if you have a calling for ministry, they're like, oh, pastor. And it's like an automatic thing. And it's like, that. that's not all there is. There's plenty of other, places to serve plenty of other ministries even outside the church para church ministries not and not only ministry as a woman but ministry as a single woman is interesting yeah. too because oftentimes people think if you're a woman who's called to ministry you ought to be married <laughs> um yeah. you know so just as an encouragement spring by spring. right as an <laughs> encouragement to single women out there you can do ministry without a man <laughs> yeah. man there there is so much that we could say but i I've, we've got to keep reiterating this point that this is not a superiority inferiority view this is a uh, we are all equal in person we're all equal in humanity we're all made in god's image but uh we just think that men and women are called to different roles in the church and in yeah. the home uh but uh yeah, I, I don't. I don't really think they're. You know, we're called to those roles. I don't think the Bible really addresses those roles necessarily um, for societal um, societal things. So, uh, you know, like I, I actually have at my funeral home I work at. I have a. There's a woman there that's a funeral director who is also uh, seems to lean complementarianism, a uh, complementarianist. So, uh, you know, and, and yet she's a leader at the funeral home. You know, but uh, God's focus, I think, was on the church and, and building that image and, and bringing glory to his name. Um, and, and so we can all, all be at peace in these situations, in these, um, you know, in these callings that God's given us. Uh, we've got to move on here. I'm doing a terrible job at keeping us on track. Um, <laughs> um, so we, we've got to talk about the, the verses and the arguments that we've heard that, that uh, counteract our, uh, complementarianism. Um, now, for the most part, I think we've pretty much covered it as we went. Um, you know, there's, I mean, I, like I said, there's a lot of very good theologians. I mean, guys I would listen to all the time. I mean, Craig Keener is, is highly intelligent. I mean, good Lord, I, I would listen to all, any of his sermons or, or lessons or whatever, any chance I could get. You know, if he come to town, it's not like I'm going to avoid him, you know. Um, you know, I had Michael Brown on the podcast, and, uh, you know, he's, a, he's Pentecostal. I mean, he couldn't be farther from what I believe than any other Christian, you know, uh, Austin's the same way. Austin's egalitarian. He's, he's probably egalitarian and he's been on the podcast a lot. Um, so I, I mean, I really do. I think there's some strong Christian people who believe this. Um, thank you so much for watching the grace bond ministries podcast or listening to the podcast. Uh, I know there's various ways that you could be listening to this right now or watching this right now. Uh, but I just want to say thank you so much. And if you would, 
uh, wherever you're listening. If you're listening on YouTube, you know, subscribe to the YouTube channel, um, podcast, please, you know, leave a five-star review and uh, write a little thing in there. If you're on Facebook, you know, leave a comment. Uh, let me know how this impacted you or uh, even any other questions or comments or concerns you may have. Um, and also, if you have an idea or you have something you'd really want to talk more uh, deeply about, you can always email me at gracebondministries at gmail.com. But thank you so much. Remember, for it is by grace you are saved through faith and not of yourselves, for it is the gift of God. Thank you for listening to Grace Bond Ministries. Thank you.